Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The United States has now been at war in Afghanistan 13 years longer than it took to win the Second World War. What exactly is the definition of victory in that godforsaken land? The danger with the president's immigration proposal is not that the Democrats will reject it. The danger is they'll accept it. And it's past time to drop the politically motivated charges against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. With these stories and more from a nationalist perspective, I'm Jim Dawes, and this is America First Radio's Daily Brief. And thank you for joining America First Radio. This conversation is always on, on Twitter at AmFirstRadio and on Facebook at America First Radio with Jim Dawes. So follow and friend us, share it with your friends, and get early notifications as soon as these shows are posted. America First Radio is proudly carried on the Talk America Radio Network, the new dominant force in conservative talk radio. You can listen to their live feed at talkamericaradio.us. And America First Radio is broadcast at 11 p.m. Eastern on Talk America affiliates in Florida and Georgia. And if you miss a broadcast, you can always listen on demand on your favorite podcast directory. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube. Oh, all of them. And you can also find our archives uh, at AmericaFirstRadio.com. Man, you know, uh, it, it is really weird how uh, the United States conducts wars now. Uh, it's no longer the case that we go in and uh, and bomb the hell out of people, uh, kill as many of them as possible, destroy their country, uh, and leave with a promise to come back and do it again if they uh, if they cross us again. Now, we have to go in and uh, and make the country better off than it was before. It's uh, very similar to that 1959 uh, British comedy, The Mouse That Roared. If you haven't seen it, you should. It stars Peter Sellers. He plays three roles in it, and it's, uh, it's hilarious. But uh, it's about a, a tiny European country uh, called Grand Fenwick, uh, that uh, is on fallen on hard times, and they've decided that the way they're going to get out of it is by declaring war on the United States, uh, and then surrendering, taking advantage of the American um, habit after World War II of uh, rebuilding uh, the economy of their defeated enemies, and and you know that is a, just a real mistake. Uh, it might have worked in in Japan and in Europe where people would accept uh, defeat, but it's not going to work in Afghanistan or Iraq or any of these other clannish countries in the Middle East. And uh, it's often been said, uh, I'm sure you've heard, that uh, Afghanistan is uh, where empires go to die. It's the graveyard of empires, and that's uh, that's true. And that uh, the, the brilliant Ivy League-educated strategic planners in the United States could not have looked at history 
and seen uh, the predictable uh, outcome of what would happen if we got bogged down in that God-forsaken hellhole. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have gone in and uh, kicked the hell out of the ta- uh, the Taliban and uh, captured and killed Osama bin Laden, but we certainly had no reason to occupy the place, and we certainly had no reason to uh, to rebuild their government in some sort of uh, Jeffersonian democracy model. The the rationale we always hear is that we have to deny the terrorists a base for operations. Well, hell. Afghanistan is not the only place in the world uh, that fits that description. They can go to Somalia or Sudan or Yemen or any number of other God-forsaken hell holes and do that. The key is to have enough intelligence on the ground so that uh, when they start uh, organizing and putting together their training camps, we can uh, send some drones over there or some uh, some American um, air power to blow the hell up out of them. So I, I got a clip here. It's kind of a long clip. Uh, it it, uh, it talks about why the United States is not able to win in Afghanistan, and it it also applies to Iraq and Libya and Syria and all of these other uh, Middle Eastern nations. Let's see if I can find it here. Here we go. Afghanistan don't work from a military sense. For this, let's take a look at the American Revolution. The colonists and patriots won the Revolutionary War because the battle was fought on their home turf, while the British Redcoats marched in formation into terrain that was unfamiliar to them, the revolutionaries used guerrilla warfare tactics to startle and surprise the enemy. Counterinsurgency never works because you have to convince the local population that you care more about their interests and their culture than the local insurgents. This is certainly the case with the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan. The Afghani people see the U.S. as the, quote, cowboy that divided the village and a frenemy at best. A war is not won until the people accept the victor as their new ruler. Occupation is tiresome and uninspiring. Imagine how the American troops feel after years of patrolling around unfamiliar lands for increasingly unclear reasons, only to see many of their fellow compatriots hit by IED blasts or random attacks and either die or or suffer an even worse fate of permanent physical disabilities. We have lost thousands of precious young American lives in Afghanistan, and we've uh, we've, uh, welcomed home Tens of thousands of more uh, uh, brave young Americans that have been permanently uh, disfigured for life. And it is a, I am sad to say, a lost cause, not because of the lack of valor or determination of skill of the American fighting man and woman. It is because of the foolish leadership uh, that just cannot uh, uh, accept that there are some... um, Wars that cannot be won. The only way you're going to win a war in Afghanistan is perpetual occupation. Because it is a clan-based society. It's actually based on cousin marriage, which which, um, also explains why they're such volatile people. Um, But they're never going to side with us. And eventually, uh, we are going to have to leave. And they will revert back to whatever um governance uh, a clannish governance that they had before 
But you know, I'm a big fan of truth teller and uh, truth telling. And up on Capitol Hill, a little bit of truth telling went on yesterday when Representative Walter Jones, Republican of North Carolina, uh, asked Secretary uh, of Defense James Mattis to explain why we are still um, sending U.S. troops to shed blood for pedophiles. And um, and what he brought up was a, a long-simmering knowledge among uh, American forces over there that there is a culture of child rape among uh, the uh, men in Afghanistan, especially those men in positions of power and, and influence, and, uh, and, you know, our, um, soldiers have, uh, seen this, objected to it, uh, punished. I think in one case actually killed a, uh, um, an Afghan, uh, leader who refused to, uh, stop it. And as a result, the, um, the Pentagon has actually retaliated against those American soldiers which, you know, is a a situation that we should never be in. If we have to accept uh, that form of perversion and uh, and violation in order to help uh, a nation, uh, you know, realize democracy, then they're just not worth it. And I remember back when I was in the Navy and uh, part of our jobs at the um, at the training center in San Diego was to help train uh, some Saudi Arabians who also had a, um, a propensity for having sex with each other. They didn't believe themselves to be homosexuals, but um, we would uh, come in uh, on Reveille and catch them uh, in the act. And the way it was uh, pushed or dealt with then is um, uh, we promised not to come in before a certain hour, and they promised to to wrap up their uh, activities before uh, we came in. But these are cultures that we understand nothing about, that we have no business um, getting bogged down in, and certainly should not ever sacrifice American lives to save this level, um, this, this, this type of culture. When we come back, we'll hear more about this, uh, this topic right after these messages on America First Radio. Going on 14 years now, we've been bogged down in the in Afghanistan. I keep calling it a hellhole. Uh, that's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, basically when we were over there and engaged in a 21st century war, we were just bouncing around rubble, ch- chasing these uh, these warlords uh, that are using you know Soviet era captured armaments, uh, you know, uh, to to fight us. Uh, we foolishly let Osama bin Laden escape through the mountains of Tora Bora into Pakistan. I'm not sure if that, I'm not convinced that that was entirely by accident either. It seemed like that the strategy and tactics they used were designed <clears throat> uh, to blow, uh, to blow <clears throat> the uh, 
<clears throat> al-Qaeda over into Afghanistan. They, they didn't bother sealing the mountain passes, despite the fact uh, that the 10th Mountain Division was sitting on the tarmac in Germany waiting to be deployed. The most fearsome and effective uh, mountain fighting force uh, probably in the history of the world, uh, they did not utilize in order to capture bin Laden. But uh, back to the graveyard of empires, Alexander the Great uh, conquered almost all of the known world at the time, but he was uh, his forces faltered and, and ultimately were defeated in Afghanistan uh, because they could not convert that society to, uh, you know, part of Alexander's empire, the British empire. It was once said that the sun never set on the British empire and there was no more effective fighting force in the world at the time. They uh, were defeated in Afghanistan. They're, uh, they were broken as far as a, uh, a world empire and eventually ended up losing uh, most of, of their empire. There was a famous poem by uh, Rudyard Kipling called uh, The Young British Soldier. And the last stanza uh, was, When you're wounded and left on Afghanistan's plains and the women come out to cut up your remains, just roll to your rifle and blow out your brains and go to your God like a soldier. And, you know, it, it just, uh, what, what Kipling was doing there was trying to capture the futility of trying to conquer uh, a people who have no interest in uh, in um, being conquered or being uh, you know advancing into a modernity. The Soviet Union. I don't know why the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, but they did. America fought them and helped the Afghans. We were on the wrong side of that situation, I think. But uh, the Soviet Union. Spilt its uh, blood and treasure in Afghanistan, similar to what the United States did in Vietnam, and ultimately had to go home after uh, more than a decade with nothing to show for it, and uh, shortly thereafter, their empire collapsed. But none of this, and many more examples, by the way, was enough to dissuade um, the uh, uh, the brilliant people at the State Department and uh, and the strategists in the Department of Defense from deciding that it'll be different for the United States because we really know how to uh, change hearts and minds. And it just blows your mind that they never learn from this. So uh, from this history. So it was, um, you know, I was, I was heartened when I read that um, the, uh, the GOP rep from North Carolina, uh, Walter Jones had pointed out, how incompatible American values are with what goes on over in Afghanistan and cited an inspector general's report um, on the uh, on the enforcement of what's called the Leahy Law, which bans the U.S. government from assisting foreign forces that have been found to commit gross human rights violations. Uh, and this was all about um, U.S. troops um, were kept by the Pentagon for from reporting and doing anything about this practice that they call uh, bacha bazi or boy play. I found this clip from CNN uh, talking about uh, what goes on here. And, uh, and you get to hear from a soldier uh, that stepped out and tried to stop this uh, abomination. Abomination. 
They're called dancing boys, tea boys, or by many who have had to turn a blind eye to them, Afghan sex slaves. A subculture of bachabazi or boy play is widely known in Afghanistan, but for U.S. service members there, the abuse of these children is infuriatingly hard to stop, especially when the abuse comes from American-backed Afghan commanders there. I had a boy because every commander had one. In a 2010 PBS documentary, a former Afghan commander of the Northern Alliance spoke openly, shamelessly, about this sick practice. If I didn't have a boy, I couldn't compete with the others. Today, the New York Times reports that the American military stands accused of ordering troops to purposely turn a blind eye to the abuse in order to maintain good relations with Afghan forces. The reason that we weren't able to, uh, to, to step in with these, with these local rape cases was uh, we didn't want to undermine the authority of the local government. We were trying to build up the local government. Us acting after the local government fails to uh, can certainly undermine their, their credibility. Retired U.S. Army Captain Dan Quinn tells CNN that he and Sergeant First Class Charles Martland were punished for confronting an admitted Afghan child rapist, a police commander. The competition turned physical, and I picked him up, threw him onto the ground multiple times, and, uh, and Charles did the same thing. We basically had to make sure that he fully understood that if he ever went near that boy or his mother again, uh, there was going to be held back. Quinn says he and Martland were relieved of their duties shortly thereafter. Martland is being involuntarily separated now from the Army. I think the fear is that if we were to intervene, we wouldn't have the kind of close working relationship that we need with Afghan military. Terrorism expert Jessica Stern says this is far from an isolated incident. She's spoken to several service members who say they were disturbed by what they saw. They must have felt that they couldn't respond in the way they would have liked to. You know, if the price that we have to pay to help the Afghan people is turning a blind eye to child molestation and rape, then it's not worth it. Uh, if we're not going to, if we're not going to stop that, and also while we're at it, if we're not going to stop the opioid trade in Afghanistan, the hell with that. Bring our troops home. Let them live in their um, their backwards cult. Um, a clannish society, and uh, and if they mount any terrorist attacks against us again, we'll come come back and blow them the hell up. How about we take a, all those resources that we're using trying to tame Afghanistan, despite all indications of history, and just protect our borders and keep them out of our country? You know, Trump ran for president based on a promise that he was going to get us out of Afghanistan, but. Secretary Mattis and the other leaders of the military uh, convinced us that you know we we could uh, we could make a difference if we just stayed there and concentrated on killing terrorists. And then shortly after that, uh, you saw uh, what they meant by that when they dropped this uh, this Moab bomb, the mother of all bombs, uh, in a remote valley uh, there where ISIS was uh, said to be hiding ninety two militants. Uh, all of which were reported to have been killed. But that Moab cost $16 million to kill those 92 militants, which comes out uh, to $174,000 per militant. I think that you could hire uh, some pretty good mercenary forces 
Uh, I know Prince would go over there and do it for far less than that. But, um, you know, they're supposed to have been right now between 1,000 and 3,000 ISIS fighters in Afghanistan, not to even mention the tens or hundreds of thousands of Taliban fighters. But let's just concentrate on ISIS fighters. And let's take the number of split the difference and say it's 2,000. So at $170,000 per ISIS militant, it would cost us around $350 million uh, to get rid of those 2,000 ISIS militants. I have no doubt in my mind that, uh, that for that amount of money, we could, uh, we could take care of that problem in, in other more effective ways that didn't require our troops to, um, to compromise their humanity in the service of this, uh, this crazy policy. But it's, it's been going on 18 years now. We're no closer to um, defeating the Taliban than we were at the very beginning. As a matter of fact, they're supposed to be in charge of, I think, two-thirds of the provinces in Afghanistan. There's a thriving drug trade that is in fact grown because the Taliban, when they, uh, before, uh, we, we attacked, were ac- actually suppressing the opioid, uh, the opium, um, cultivation. I just don't think it's worth it. Um, we, we have no obligation to the people af- uh, of Afghanistan. They don't want us there. And basically the reason we are there is because of an aversion to, um, to declaring victory and going home. And I think that's how all wars should be fought. I, I do not subscribe to this model of war that says you have to leave your enemy better off than you found them. But uh, if you want an entertaining take on on that uh, that 21st century model of war, I I I, uh, I recommend you watch the Mouse That Roared with Peter Sellers. It's it's an old movie, but it's great. That clip uh, that you may have heard was uh, from none other than Jake Tapper at CNN back before they became so thoroughly conflict or uh, afflicted with Trump derangement syndrome when CNN actually did some foreign reporting. Remember those, those days before Jeff Zucker and, and, uh, CNN getting thoroughly bogged down in this, uh, Russia, uh, Trump collusion mythology. We got to run out to a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, uh, the president's proposal on immigration and the danger that's presented by the fact that the Democrats might actually accept it. Right after these messages on America First Radio. Decades, America has had the highest levels in our history, higher than any other country. The result, most new American jobs have gone to immigrants. American workers are undervalued, losing out to cheap foreign labor. 
wages have stagnated, while the national debt has skyrocketed. Mass immigration has jammed our schools, hospitals, and highways. Maybe it's time to phase down immigration so we can phase Americans back in. Paid for by Federation for American Immigration Reform. So if we're going on 30 or 40 years now, I'm not sure how you would actually measure the, the beginning point. The American worker have been, uh, has been hit by a one-two punch. One of um, these multinationals uh, uh, buying trade policy in Washington that ships our uh, American jobs overseas through actual um, tax incentives for manufacturers to offshore their jobs and, of course, through these lax trade policies that uh, do nothing to protect American workers or American manufacturers. And at the same time, the few jobs that were left, um, the competition for those jobs have been uh, increased drastically by by unprecedented levels of immigration, both legal and illegal, uh, that has just destroyed the American middle class and put the American worker without any bargaining position at all. And that's really why Donald Trump won this election. And if he gets uh, reelected in 2020, that's the reason he will re- win reelection is because uh, American workers are so uh, anxious to get back to having a thriving economy and a growing middle class. And these proposals that Trump had put forward have really they're they're very thin gruel for uh, American nationalists or uh, immigration restrictionists that want to see. Um, us get control of our borders and uh, stop illegal immigration and rein in legal immigration. And uh, and the the trouble, as I said at the top, there is not that the Democrats or the danger is not that the Democrats will reject this proposal. The the real danger is that they may pull their heads out of their butts and actually accept this. Uh, this proposal because it gives them most of what them they they really want. Because if the president were to send a bill up there, uh, they would do as they always do. They would uh, amend that bill and tinker with it in the Congress um, because no proposal you know, gets through Congress without uh, being altered somewhat. And the bill could very easily morph into another uh, 1986-style bait-and-switch you know, under Ronald Reagan where uh, millions of illegals get mass amnesty up front with a lot of promises for enforcement and reform that get pushed down the road and are ultimately uh, stuffed down the memory hole when enough of the um, you know uh, Republican business donors have uh, have contributed and harassed and elected Republican uh, pro-immigrationists to to Congress or. Alternately, when the Democrats get control of Congress, and that's that's really the danger here, because all of the pro-amnesty stuff uh, is fo- front-loaded in the president's resp- proposal, and all of the pro-American reforms take take years, if not decades, to enact. So what will happen is they'll get their amnesty. We won't get any restriction. And uh, within a few years, there will be several million more uh, alien or immigrant uh, Democrats headed to the polls on Election Day. And it didn't just happen in 1986 under Ronald Reagan. It happened again 10 years later in 1996. That was uh, Bill Clinton's amnesty. It happened in 2006 
Um, 2007, they did it again. In 2013, there have been various forms of amnesty, all of which have promised to, uh, you know, be uh, accompanied by immigration reform to slow the flow of illegals. None of that have ever, ever happened. And the president's proposal, Trump's proposal, says nothing about E-Verify or birthright citizenship. And if you do nothing about E-Verify so that you can dry up the magnet that continues to have people sneaking into the country, about half of them are visa overstays. And if you don't do anything about birthright citizenship so people can visit the country and uh, and have an anchor baby that will allow them to come over here and bring their, uh, you know, their their family, you really won't won't do anything that's uh, permanent or long lasting. They they the president's bill talks about curtailing chain migration, but really, that's only effective after twenty years because the permit uh, that they they allow the current backlog to clear. And I've I've seen numbers of four million people on this this waiting list, and it could take as long as twenty seven years. Nobody knows what's going to happen 27 years from now. The diversity lottery is <laughs> is ended as a lottery, but they just uh, take those those slots and give them to more um, refugees in this this you know refugee racket that the uh, the Lutheran Church and other churches have got going on as a sort of a a for profit thing. It's it's almost thoroughly ruined. Um you know, whole swaths of Minneapolis. So very little to, to, uh, root for in the president's proposal, but it, that hasn't, <laughs> that hasn't been enough for the, for the Democrats to just, uh, go screeching to the fainting couch. And you saw just an amazing display of their hostility, uh, toward the proposal and the president's state of the union where all of these Democrats sit there on their hands, scowling at the president with their their African um, shawls on. Not sure what that was about. I think it was a black, uh, a black nationalist uh, statement. But uh, the, the the leftist press has somehow uh, determined that the president's proposal is some white supremacist uh, proposal, and uh, right now they haven't realized that uh, you know it 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 really would be strategic for them to accept it. Actually, the New York Times wrote a um, wrote an op-ed to that effect. Before we get too deep into this segment, I want to play you a long clip from Dan Stein uh, on, the, um, on this proposed immigration reform. It's actually before the president offered his deal, but even back then he was seeing the outlines of what the president might propose. Immigration for decades. Oop, not not that one, this one. The Democratic parties had routine uh, opportunities to come forward and actually craft balanced, meaningful compromises that would have actually given the public and the Republican-based confidence of enforcement going forward, but they haven't done that. Mm -hmm. Now, what President Obama did was, by his own admission, Allison, routinely was illegal, unconstitutional. He said it over and over again. Talking but then, about right before the 2012 election, he said, oh, I'm going to do something I know is illegal because I want to help Harry Reid out in his political campaign. Now we've got these folks there. Most of them are in their 30s and 20s. 
Uh, yes, many of them came when they were very young, but the problem is it's an arbitrary amnesty program and the Republican base and FAIR will not accept any legislative amnesty for this group unless the Democrats come forward and meet the administration halfway on Donald Trump's very specific promises during his campaign mm -hmm. to secure the borders, build a wall, interior enforcement and cut chain migration. Okay. These kids are some of the best and the brightest. They do want to do right by America. <laughs> look, they they are going to schools. Go ahead. Look, look, the bottom line is some of them are some of them are doing very well. Some of them are not. Some of them have gotten in trouble with the criminal justice system. And some Americans have lost loved ones because DACA beneficiaries have committed crimes. So, so it's not overgeneralized. So why deport 800,000? The bottom line is, look, Donald why Trump made a very basis, he made a very explicit campaign commitment and a promise that he was going to end illegal unconstitutional actions of President Obama. He has to make good on that marker with the people who put him in office. This was a major campaign promise. Yeah. And let's look at this now already eight days ago chuck schumer nancy pelosi we're not going to have any kind of deal with president and trump in exchange for a daca amnesty where we're going to give him anything that he wants now how, what kind of reasonable compromise position is that the democrats have taken this position not historically consistent with the democratic party that they will oppose all u.s interior immigration law enforcement they will deport. They don't want anybody to be removed or deported. Donald Trump needs to, to stop DACA, yep. let the work documents expire. If the Democrats want to come forward and start acting like grown-ups and talk about a serious, <laughs> meaningful legislative compromise yep. to try to fix everything that's wrong with the immigration system, I'm sure Donald Trump and FAIR will be on board, but we're not going to support any kind of standalone amnesty bill for this particular class that was arbitrarily defined for political purposes. So Dan Stein made those statements before uh, the president had actually introduced his proposal. And um, and I think what the president is doing is trying to show how unreasonable the Democrats are by offering this very reasonable uh, reform that includes amnesty for almost two million uh, so-called dreamers and uh, and allows all the people on the waiting list for chain migration to enter. I think he's making a big bet there because the Democrats might figure out that this is not a bad deal for them. And um, and it's a very serious bet. I think the best possible outcome from this is that the Democrats reject this and get thoroughly trounced in the polls in 2018. Got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the just dis deplorable way uh, that they have treated Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Am I allowed to use that word deplorable? What uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, has uh, done and allowed to happen to Lieutenant General Michael Flynn is one of the biggest disgrace, disgraces that I've seen in my lifetime. Michael Flynn retired from the U.S. Army with uh, 33 years of service. He had a, a career uh, in combat and in leadership uh, that is nothing but honorable and, uh, and shows uh, the motivations of a true patriot. Uh, but, you know, uh, he, he was, uh, pushed out of the army, forced into early retirement by, uh, the Obama administration because he refused to go along with their, uh, mythology that they were spinning about the war effort in, uh, Syria, where the administration was trying to claim that, uh, you know, their policies were, um, 
were um, being successful in reducing uh, the rise of ISIS and El Nusra, um, and and Flynn insisted on truth telling, and he w- actually went before Congress, and he 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 uh, spoke uh, truth to power, and uh, and the Obama administration didn't want to hear the truth. Uh, at the time, Michael Flynn was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, so he incurred the wrath of the White House by insisting on telling the truth, and they shoved uh, they shoved him out. He wouldn't shut up. And uh, when he became an advisor to uh, the Trump campaign, it must have just um, irritated them to no end. And when Trump won, they set their sights on Michael Flynn. And there's no way that Donald Trump should have ever fired Michael Flynn. I would argue that a lot of the problems that uh, this administration has had is because they showed weakness by jettisoning uh, somebody from the administration who so obviously um, was acting honorably and had broken no laws. But the Democrats saw blood in the water when that happened, and and the uh, Republicans uh, in the establishment uh, thought that uh, you know maybe this uh, this administration would be a pushover after all, and they and you know Trump has sort of got an upsetting um, pol- uh, practice of of not standing by his allies, and Michael Flynn was key to his election. You know we saw him do that uh, with um, uh, Steve Bannon and. Uh, and uh, the the first uh, press secretary whose name escapes me right now, but uh, the Trump administration, and I assume that Donald Trump is behind this, uh, will uh, will uh, toss somebody under the bus if they start to see them a liability. I said that was the biggest mistake that they ever made. Um, it wasn't the biggest mistake. It was the second biggest mistake. The biggest mistake that the Trump administration has made was appointing Jeff Sessions uh, as attorney general who should have, they should have known that he would have to recuse himself from anything regarding, uh, the campaign. And of course, then Jeff Sessions turned around and foolishly appointed Rod Rosenstein. and was thoroughly implicated in the, uh, in the spying on the Trump campaign. But now, you know, we've got the special counsel roaming the land, trying to exact a, a pound of flesh from anybody associated with the Trump campaign and they set their sights on Michael Flynn, and they they went after him with all the power of an unlimited budget, and uh, and basically unlimited uh, resources at their command. And uh, that Michael Flynn pled guilty. Now I need to uh, make it perfectly clear: because you plead guilty to a federal prosecution, does not necessarily mean that you are in fact guilty. But the very lowest uh, plea that you can cop to and uh and uh get the feds uh from trying to put you in jail for decades is uh lying to an FBI agent and that's what uh what Flynn cop to now keep in mind that this conversation that he was supposed to have lied to was not recorded and it was being conducted by none other than Peter Strzok so we're supposed to take Peter Strzok's word for what was said in that conversation that wasn't recorded over Michael Flynn's really 
I've got a clip here from Fox News, uh, Catherine Herridge, who is just, I know I play her, her clips a lot because she is doing by far the best reporting on this whole, um, we got to stop calling it a Russia scandal. It's not, uh, it's not really a Russian scandal. It's a deep state scandal. But here's Catherine talking about uh, the day that Michael Flynn pled guilty. Um, earlier, I spoke with someone who's very close to Flynn who said to me, he entered into this agreement for a handful of reasons. He was broken financially, he was broken emotionally, and that his family could not face another two to three years under the sort of the lever of the government in the Russia investigation. And just because he's made a plea, uh, a plea agreement today, he's pled guilty, doesn't mean that he's off the hook with a special counsel. In, in many ways, because he's already admitted to lying, he's under additional scrutiny about the quality and the fidelity of the statements that he makes in the future. And the records are very clear that he cannot refuse to cooperate with the special counsel at this point without facing a penalty. What's typical in these cases is that the deal is off the table here. So Michael Flynn pled guilty. They were threatening to file charges against his son. Uh, they had broken him financially. In fact, had to sell his house to pay his his legal fees. His family, uh, I suppose, now is having to downsize and and try to survive. You know, they they threatened to charge Michael Flynn with the same violations that they charged Manafort with the so-called uh, Foreign Agents Registration Act, which is a joke in and of itself. Because you could go down K Street in Washington, D.C., passing out arrest warrants for FARA violations like candy. The whole um, uh, foreign lobbying that goes on in Washington, D.C., nobody uh, is filed uh, or registered as a uh, foreign agent. It's been going on for decades, but now suddenly they decided to uh, enforce this law, just like all of a sudden they decided to enforce this, this bogus Logan Act that Sally Yates claimed that Flynn was subject to blackmail by the Russians because he violated the Logan Act. And what you really have to ask yourself is why would the FBI want to interview Flynn about this conversation that he had with Kislyak after the, uh, the, um, the election during the transition when they already had a recording of the conversation? Sally Yates knew for a fact what Flynn had said because they had a recording. So they sent Flynn uh, or they sent Stork in there to interview Flynn with that, with Flynn not even being aware that he was being interviewed in a criminal matter to set up a, um, a, well, not a perjury trap, but set up a trap for lying to an FBI agent. Wasn't under oath, wasn't aware that he was being interviewed for a uh, criminal investigation and apparently he, there is no underlying crime to lie about because Flynn was perfectly within his rights to have a conversation with the Russian ambassador and discuss uh, the incoming administration's future policies. This whole idea that that is a violation of a Logan Act is laughable. You got old John Kerry over there meeting with the Palestinian Authority telling them just to hold on and resist uh, the American foreign policy under Donald Trump because uh, they expect him to be impeached. You had uh, Barack Obama trotting over there to uh, sit down with the South Korean president and and advise him on on taking actions that may have been 
um, contrary to official Washington policy. Nobody has ever been convicted under the Logan Act that Sally Yates claimed that Flynn was subject to being blackmailed over. I just think that the Obama administration was uh, angry at Flynn because he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, sanctions regarding the U.N. vote on Israel. And uh, the Obama administration was determined that uh, that they're uh, voting in favor of those uh, uh, sanctions against Israel at the United States or the United Nations would stand. I've got a clip here uh, from Roger Stone, who's talking about uh, uh, in the light of all of these revelations, discrediting Peter Stork and his uh, mistress. Um, is it Lisa Page? I'm not sure it's Lisa Page, uh, but uh, he says that. Um, well, I'll just play the clip from Roger Stone uh, from uh, Stone Cold Truth. This is Roger Stone for Infowars with breaking news. Lawyers for General Mike Flynn will shortly file a motion to dismiss all the charges against him. Based on reports now confirmed by The Hill, Circa News and Infowars that Assistant FBI Director Andrew McCabe told a teleconference of law enforcement officials, first we F Flynn, then we F Trump. Breaking news from Infowars. I sure hope there's a recording of McCabe saying that. McCabe, you recall, had to uh, step aside after uh, the um, uh, the uh, Republican uh, House Intelligence memo came forward showing all of the um, misdeeds that he uh, did trying to first uh, exonerate Hillary Clinton and then turn around and frame Donald Trump. But, you know, uh, on top of everything else, we have to think we have to look at this uh, selective prosecutions that's going that are going on now. You know, nobody went after James Comey uh, for leaking classified documents that were then published by The New York Times or The Washington Post. James Comey himself didn't go after Christopher Steele, the uh the pseudo-author of the phony dossier for lying to the FBI. Nobody went after Hillary Clinton. That takes us to the end of this edition of America First Radio. I hope you'll join us back here again tomorrow night on the Talk America Radio Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.